The devil himself was standing directly behind him. We will be going to the graveyard. Let's wake the ghosts. Come on. Come on. This ghost story of Maynooth College. Cade Mila Falcher wrote My name is Joe Byrne. Seven years ago, when I was a student in Maynooth University, I took an interest in its ghost stories. Halloween was coming, the Gaelic feast of Samhain, the time when it is said that the gap between this world and the next is at its narrowest, and I decided to collect some of the stories together and lead a walking tour around Maynooth College's ancient South Campus, telling tales to whoever decided to come along. In the end, on that first night, 120 students gathered at the now-vanished footbridge which connected the modern and ancient parts of Maynooth. And later that week, another hundred came on a separate tour. Clearly this topic is of interest to some people. In the following years, every Halloween, I would make a journey to Maynooth to lead yet another large group of students, members of the public, and anyone curious enough through the stories that make Maynooth unique. In the process of this project, with my friend Erin Bartley, we also produced a book of these ghost stories, which can be found on lulu.com or Amazon for people interested in learning more. The book is called A Walking Tour of the Ghost Stories of Maynooth College. This year, unfortunately, I'm not living in Ireland, so I cannot make the trip, my annual pilgrimage down to Maynooth, to share these stories in person with students and staff. So I thought this year I would do something special and release some of these stories in podcast form. I'll tell you at the end of this story about one of my current podcasting projects, called 80 Days, an Exploration Podcast. And if you like what you hear here, you might consider giving my new project a listen. But today, I'm going to tell you the highlight of the walking tour of Maynooth College, the story that everyone has heard some version of when they come to Maynooth, and definitely the one they're most interested in. I will tell this story, including some audio which was recorded on various tours over the years, to give you a sense of what the room sounds and feels like and how people react to the gruesome details. I hope this seasonal podcast appeals to those preparing for Halloween and I intend to release a few more of the stories on this channel. So please like A Walking Tour of the Ghost Stories of Maynooth College on Facebook for more updates about that. Now, without any further ado, here is the story of The Blood Room. Room number two, Rhetoric House. Almost every student in Maynooth has had room number two of Rhetoric House pointed out to them from a distance. Almost every student is shown the seemingly boarded up window, often as one of the first sights on their orientation tour as first years. 
but very few people know much more than that. Rumours about a bloodstain are known, but the detailed story as to how such a gruesome detail became a feature of a room in a seemingly ordinary building are rarer knowledge. When I bring a walking tour around the south campus of Maynooth College, and I want to tell them about the blood room, I first bring them to the yard just below that window, that strange, seemingly boarded up window, and I show it to them from the outside yet again. With this in their mind, they are ready to hear the true story. Look up. That's where we're going. See it? See these windows are, you can see right through them, this one, nothing. There's a wall there. That is room number two, Rhetoric House. I'm sure many of you have uh, heard versions of the story. Most two guys make mistakes. Because they uh, taught the story about a week before. And you've probably been told to board it up and there's a blood stain on the carpet of the room and no one uses it. That sounds familiar? Right. Rubbish. It's not boarded up at all. That room is no longer a room. In fact, the yard where I stand is really where the story ends. The reason the window is no longer a window is a result of the final character in this tale of horror and torment. And the yard where I stand is where he ends his fateful journey. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. The story begins more than a century and a half ago. Famine stalks the land of Ireland and many people have fallen on hard times. One of the few ports of safety for people looking for stability in their life, was training for the priesthood in Maynooth College, where it would be guaranteed three hot meals a day and a purpose in life. The characters in this tale have started their young lives in this context, and unfortunately, Maynooth and its seminary were not the safe haven they had hoped for. In 1842, uh, a young student was put in that room and he was a freshman he was beginning to train for the priesthood and he complained about uh, he'd gone to the chaplain he complained about the devil and, and take, you know, being tormented by the devil no one took any heed of it they thought he's just struggling with the damn whatever and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time while he'd begun as a fine but unremarkable student over the course of his first semester in Maynooth, things became harder and harder. He neglected his studies, he wouldn't be seen at Mass, and some days he wouldn't even come down for meals. This was not in keeping with the strict discipline expected by seminarians living in Junior House, which was the name Rhetoric House had at the time. The Dean of Junior House was responsible for the conduct of his charges. And one morning, he was taking a headcount in Pugin Hall at breakfast. This is the refectory in Maynooth. Making sure that everyone had made it up that morning. And as it become common, one head was missing. The dean 
was furious. He had had so many run-ins with this one student over the course of the last few months and he was ready to give him a piece of his mind, ready to beat him black and blue to teach him some discipline. And he rushed out into St. Joseph's Square, walked towards what is now Rhetoric House, entered the building and started climbing the flights of stairs up to the top floor where this student's room was. Room number two. But as he reached the top flight, a hesitation came over him. His anger tempered slightly and a chill passed through his body. By the time he reached the closed door of room number two, anger had been replaced by fear. He knew something was not right and this was not like every other day. When he threw the door open, he did not find a lazy, idling student still in his bed. Oh no. But rather, the slumped body of this young man lying in a pool of his own blood. Cutthroat razor in his hand, sink full of water, and his throat slit from ear to ear. Blood soaked into the floorboards, and the dean let out a cry. What a tragedy, they all thought. Nothing more. Nothing supernatural was suspected, but simply an awful, awful tragedy. The kind that unfortunately happen occasionally in any place where large groups of people are gathered together for large amounts of time. Quietly, the death was dealt with, and the college moved on. But, they did take the precaution of not housing anybody else in room number two for a number of years, until this man's peers had moved on to Senior House, and no longer anyone on the corridor remembered the horror of what had happened. And so it was, in 1845, when the dean thought sufficient time had passed, that students would not pass on this story to new residents. Another new student found his home in room number two, Rhetoric House. He was put into that room to sleep. And again, he was an unremarkable student who had been expected to devote himself fully to his studies. Not top of the class, but by no means struggling. But he too grew more and more apathetic and disconnected from the community. He too complained of struggling and spoke to his confessor of dark dreams. But nothing was done about it. And one night he went to bed. And the next morning the dean did a headcount at breakfast. And again one student was missing. And again the dean stormed across campus to rouse the late riser. But, climbing the stairs towards room number two, yet again, a terrifying dread spread through his body as the remembrance of three years previous came to him. 
And as before, when he opened the door, he saw a scene of horror before him. The student slumped in the same pose, holding exactly the same way his cutthroat razor, lying in a pool of his own blood, throat slit ear to ear. The similarity made the college authorities very uncomfortable. These two freshmen were buried in unmarked graves in the college graveyard. And everybody tried to move on and forget about these tragedies. But the room was put out of commission. For a while, at least. So, um, this is the cemetery, St. Patrick's College. There are two traditions as to where these graves are. First is that there's these two apparently vacant plots without tombstones above them. Or else, over here, you'll note a series of metal crosses. All of these have numbers which relate to the names listed on the porch. Empty. There are two over in the far corner beside each other but they're not numbers. And so they've no relationship to any name. So, as to whether the men are, where the men are buried and their names, no information. But it is believed that they're somewhere within these walls. For a full 15 years, this seemingly cursed room was kept out of circulation. But increasingly, as time passed and memory faded, it was seen as foolishly superstitious to continue this practice, particularly by influential figures within the church who did not approve of such superstitious behaviour. And so it was that finally, 18 years after the first incident, in 1860, a third young trainee priest was housed in that room, room number two. In fact, many people had forgotten why this room had been put off limits in the first place, so nobody passed on the story. Towards the beginning of his career, Maynooth, this student had the most awful night. He too had suffered a gradual decline in his energy and his enthusiasm. The way he described it, the morning after this awful night, he was shaving, tired from fitful sleep, and as he was shaving, filling his wash basin with lathery water, looking into the mirror to put the razor to his throat, he felt the urge to press the blade into his flesh. He was terrified by this impulse, and in the mirror, he could see Satan standing behind him, the horrible form of the devil himself, urging him to take his life. A hand, diabolical, reached over his shoulder and took him by the wrist, trying to urge him on. And in a panic, the only thing that the student could think to do to avoid this fate was to throw himself backwards through the window in his room, falling many stories to crumple in a heap in the yard below, the yard where we previously stood. He broke both of his legs and his arm 
who was horrendously injured. But for a time, he survived. The Monsignor, in charge of the college, was brought to his bedside in the infirmary, and he told his story. They reckoned that the same thing had happened to the two previous seminarians, and they just hadn't been strong enough to resist. However, unfortunately, this last student's injuries were too great, and after telling his story, making a good confession, and being put in as much comfort as possible in the circumstances, he slipped away, and he too died. But having told his story to college authorities who believed him, he prevented the horror inflicting itself on further students going forward, and the college decided to take drastic action and permanently change this room to stop it ever happening again. I'm going to bring you upstairs, onto the corridor, into the room where this event happened. A series of tragic events, ending in death for a number and terror for others. As we walk up the stairwell together, in the darkened building, I can see a number of people getting visibly nervous as the sounds echo through the corridors. We get closer to room number two and the end of our story. As we enter the corridor, a hush falls over the crowd. And I lead them past door after door after door till at last we come to one part of the wall that is different to the others. An archway instead of a doorway. Open into a space with a wooden floor. And in the darkness, you can just make out a statue on the back wall where the window should be. Welcome to the blood room, to the ghost room, to the haunted room that is room two of Rhetoric House. As I've explained to you, this room stopped being used as a bedroom nearly 150 years ago. As you might have noticed, it isn't the chamber of terrors you were expecting. It's quite nice, there's uh, some filing cabinets and a little tea station. But what does belie the fact that this is a, a strange place is the slightly creepy statue of St. Joseph on the wall, where the window used to be. That isn't a normal office decoration. Before the room was closed up, there was a bishop in the area who refused to believe the stories. He thought that people had made up this paranoia, they, they created an hysteria, they had gotten carried away with themselves, they were all just scared and wanted to understand. So he demanded to stay in this room by himself for one night and then he would decide whether or not they could close the room. This man was about 40 years old, he had flat hair, he was healthy, he was tall. He went in by himself and locked the door and all night they heard shouting, screaming, banging. And languages they didn't understand, being spoken by two, three, four voices at a time. When he unlocked the door the next morning, a different man emerged. Twice his age, white hair, face drawn, walked bent over, and wouldn't speak of what he'd seen. But he agreed that no student should be put up against what he'd been put up against, and just barely survived. The wall was removed, an altar was put in place. In Latin, they wrote across it, 
Amorta subito et improvisato, salve nos Deus, which roughly means, O oh God, save us from a sudden and unforeseen death. And this they prayed. Here is where it happened. Here was where the washstand stood. Every morning the men took their razors, shaved. That one morning, as they were killed, the blood spilled onto the floor. They left an unmistakable stain, which 150 years on can still not be cleaned. The blood stain on the floor of this cursed bedroom turned oratory turned coffee room is quite remarkable. A deep crimson mark in the floorboards that has lasted for quite some time. One year on the tour, I met an old man whose father had been a caretaker in the college and he told me a story from his youth of coming up with his dad to watch him try once more a couple of different new products on this unbeatable stain. That was decades ago now and they still haven't found anything to erase the mark of this evil event. If you're ever in Maynooth, find Rhetoric House, wander up to the top floor and, without disturbing anybody, Maybe have a little look and see if you buy it. Thank you for listening to this ghost story of Maynooth College, the Blood Room story. I hope you enjoyed. As I said at the start of the episode, I intend to release a few more of these stories over the coming weeks and months. Please let me know if you enjoyed it by reaching out on Facebook, and that will help me to gauge interest. If you want to hear different kinds of stories, I encourage you to check out the podcast I'm involved with, 80 Days, an exploration podcast, where we tell stories about the history and culture of a different place each week. Season one is available on 80dayspodcast.com, iTunes, and anywhere else you might get your podcasts. And if you really like these stories and want to read them over and over again, accompanied by beautiful photographs, please consider getting yourself a copy of the book. It's available on Amazon. I wish you all a very happy Halloween. And I hope that these stories of Maynooth continue to circulate and get passed on from student to student, employee to employee, and get brought out into the wide world through visiting students returning home. There's something special about Maynooth, and I think it's important that we continue to share it. Gajeshiv Slan, Agus Marajertha Ramanud, Komabu. Those are the stories of this place. It's the most terrifying thing. The devil himself.